0: Well, this is the space where I like to play. My name is Misha Z, and this is today's Bitch Slap. Join me as I shed light on the thoughts, actions, and attitudes that are causing you pain, and we train our minds to go to the capital S inner self, the joy that is waiting for us, the God within so barbara barbara Carnes, um welcome to the um excuse my language the bitch slap podcast <laughs> the accelerated path to peace um and what my podcast is about are those times where the universe uh, shakes us up maybe gives gives us a little crack on the melon hey you need to see things differently do things differently hopefully from the spiritual side of things right Yes. Yes, I'm assuming you've had some experiences like that along the way.
1: I have. I <laughs> life life has been good to me, um, but it has certainly given me um opportunities for growth. Let's mm. put it that way.
0: Mm, I love that. I love that. Opportunities for growth. Um I'm just taking a note, opportunities for growth. So I think we'll tap we'll we'll touch on some of those in a little bit, but I just thought I'd tell the listeners uh, if they haven't heard of you, uh, who you are, what you do or or, yeah, what you do and and how this came about. Um, so you started with gone from my Sight, correct? Yes, and um, gone from my Sight is about the the dying experience. And if I understand correctly, I think from what Joey told me, there's 35 million or 39 million copies in print or something like that.
1: There are a lot in print and in, oh gosh, I want to say 12 languages. Don't mm. hold me to that, but a lot of different languages. It's, mm. it's really known um, in end of life circles across mm. the world.
0: When's that first edition? When did that come out?
1: Well, let's let's go with why I wrote it. How about uh, that? Well,
0: sure, sure.
1: Um, I was a hospice nurse uh, in the early 80s when um, at that time, people didn't really, know anything about dying if someone was dying they were in a hospital at the in a room at the end of the corridor and no one went down there because no one knew what to do and so the hospice concept came to this country from england Mm. and that was in the mid 70s and i thought oh this really interests me So I started studying end of life and there wasn't anything Mm. All there was, was Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. And that wasn't about how people died. Um, It was about more like grief. So anyway, I became a hospice nurse.
0: Can I ask you a question quick? Yes. Hold that thought. I, in 2012, my mother was passing away of cancer. And so I'm sure we'll get a touch on that too. But about a week before she passed away, somebody handed me a copy of this book or of your pamphlet, right? And it changed my life, not only in that moment, but it gave me a new perspective really about life. So I want to thank you for that and just say that. So it's, I believe, I mean, it's pretty, it's a profound little pamphlet for me. And so a a few days ago, I, I have been giving away the 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 book, the pamphlet. What do you like to call it? A book or a pamphlet? Booklet. The booklet. So, th- thank you, Barbara. <laughs> so I I have been referencing this booklet to my friends since then. Whenever the opportunity can co- comes up, right? And so, the um the other day, a friend of mine. Told me about his mother, who's eighty-seven, I believe, and some of these signs that you referenced so beautifully in this in this booklet started to come up, and and so I was telling about this pamphlet, this booklet, and and um, and I thought I really need to have a stack of these because I keep on referencing them, and I even think at some point a couple of years ago I looked for them, but you know how the universe works. It was too hard for me to find them, which is frightening <laughs> because it was actually so easy to find them. <laughs> so, so I search online quick. I'm like, I got to get some of these and just start handing them out. Um, so I found your uh, BK books.com and um, ordered some. Of course, I messed up the order. It's a, it's the easiest ordering site there is, but I messed up the order. And so I called customer service and I got your amazing daughter, Joey, on the phone. Right? Uh,
1: amazing. She is.
0: She is an amazing woman. I got that sense right away. Um, and so I have this podcast and I'm up to some other things. And, and intuitively, I was like, man, it would be kind of fun to Interview you because I interview people, and so that's in the back of my mind. And so, the universe or God, or call it what you will, expedited the circumstance by messing up the order. So, I got I talked to Joey, she was so sweet. Um, I'll get to the point of all this in a second. Um, and she said, Gosh, you really should interview my mom, and she's just the love in your family that I sense already, and how when she started talking about you, she started lighting up. I mean, truly, it was so, it was such a beautiful moment for me. So, thank you, her and you, for that. Um, and uh, she sent the books, by the way. And I want to talk about this too, my friend, I care. And I like to go all over the place, so I apologize. Um, but we can talk about that in a second. So anyway, my, the point is I'm talking to Joey and Joey says, this wasn't necessarily your intention that you were a stay at home mom. That's what I was trying to get to. I think you have a more interesting story than just, well, I, all of a sudden I was going to be a hospice. Uh, (laughs) so that, thank you for indulging me. Go ahead.
1: Okay. Um, I did start, well, I graduated from nursing school and realized I'd made a mistake.
2: Mm. I should not
1: have been a nurse. I should have been a social worker. So I never worked in nursing
2: Mm.
1: until the hospice concept came to this country. And I thought, this is something I find interesting. This is something I would like to work with end of life and we had mentioned how life gets you to um, through your experiences, I thought I can work with end of life. Um, <clears throat> I also learned over the years that dying is not a medical event. It is an emotional social experience. Um, mm-hmm. So anyway, I became a primary care nurse and learned that there was a process to dying. Death doesn't just happen. There's only two ways to die. You either die gradually or you die fast. I love it. You get get hit by a truck, have a heart attack, you're alive one minute, dead the next, or you develop a disease Mm. and die more slowly. Um, Mm. And that gradual death has a process to it. If it didn't have a process, it would be fast death. Mm. So one night, as a primary care nurse, I was on call, it's probably two, three o'clock in the morning. And I am with a family in their living room. And I am explaining what mom is doing, dying, and how she's doing it while she's in the bedroom. And one of the daughters was taking notes. Mm. And I thought, oh, she shouldn't have to be taking notes. Mm. And so that weekend I sat down, this is before computers, Mm. sat down with a a yellow legal pad, Mm. pen and pencil and wrote out what I wanted families to understand about how a person dies. And that's how "Gone from My Side" came to be.
0: So, how many how many people had you seen go through the extended death process at this point? Would you say when you were inspired to pull out the yellow pad?
1: Well, that would have been I, that was eighty five, so about four years worth of okay. so hundreds of people being at the bedside in the, we had, we, we had referrals um, earlier than hospice has today. So I worked with people for five, six months before mm. death came. And I, I was with them on a regular basis. And that's what allowed me to notice that they were all doing something similar. And to see this process, right up to the moment of death, because the moment of death is the is the climatic moment. Mm. Um, that's what we work toward. That is the most important time that you want to be with the family because that's the scariest time. Mm. And what you do in those hours before death with the family is what leaves them with either an absolutely terrifying memory mm. or a sacred memory. Mm. And my work was to make that experience a sacred moment for them that they would then carry with them for the rest of their life. Mm. And so knowledge reduces fear. And we don't have any role models on what it is um, for people to die except the movies and television. Yes, and they don't die like that. You know? They
0: do not <laughs>
1: They don't die like that. So unless there's someone or something that can guide a family, they're going to look at moms dying and they're going to think something pathological is happening. Something bad Mm -hmm. is happening because she's not doing it like they do it in the movies. She's not saying something profound and, and one second letter later taking a big gasp and oh, being dead, <laughs> you know, but that's what we expect unless someone teaches us otherwise.
2: Mm,
0: that's beautiful. I love the idea or I, the way you said that is so profound to me. It can literally be a terrifying moment or a beautiful moment and the circumstance that doesn't, the circumstance, circumstances don't change. It's just our knowledge or awareness of what's happening in that moment for the family that's watching the person pass away and perhaps even for the person passing away. um, That's amazing. So frustration points in those 400. So you watch 400 people as a nurse go through this and I, I guess it's you're uniquely qualified to hang in there and and um, embrace this process and learn through it and see. So
1: I think I think that my not being a nurse working in the medical field was my advantage because I had no preconceived ideas on Mm. what was going to happen or what to do about it. And Mm. so those years before I actually wrote Gone From My Sight were teaching years. That's when I learned how people die. And that's when I, by being there, by watching and noticing that everybody, all my patients were doing similar things. And that hadn't occurred in the medical arena before mm. because the medical model is death is the failure. Um, mm. You know, in the medical model, we do everything we can to keep a person alive. My job uh, was to recognize that everybody dies And that there will be people that we can't fix and that those people and their families need support and guidance. Mm -hmm. And so um, taking care of someone at end of life is different than taking care of someone who's going to get better. Mm -hmm. But most people don't know that. So mm. end-of-life work is judged on how people get better unless we teach people there's a difference. Mm. And that's my job. That's end-of-life workers' job is mm-hmm. to teach the normal, natural way that the body dies. The mm. body has died it's programmed to die. Yes. From the moment we're born, we begin to die. Um, but it's how we take care of the dying that has changed over eons of time. Mm. And so now, with our medical prowess, mm-hmm. we think that we can defeat death and that death is a failure, mm-hmm. when in reality, Yes, I think we should do everything we can to keep a person alive uh, until we recognize that we can't. Mm. There is a time to say, I've given it my best shot and Mm. death is going to come. Mm. And then let's help a person live the best they can within the confines that their body and disease has put them in.
0: That's beautiful. I mean, I I find that beautiful. <laughs> I, it's so eloquent. I <laughs> probably scares or horrifies some people, but I I I love that. So when you're working with these 400 cases that that were ultimately going to manifest in this booklet,
1: I, I don't know the exact number.
0: Okay. I, I love it. I it's, okay. Yeah, I pro, yeah. I just I just like to I it was a lot maybe more maybe less even if it was 100 even 200 300 whatever i think i a couple things are striking well let me ask you again so what's your job title while you're doing this so
1: i'm a, a hospice nurse
0: so when you were doing the 400 or that group
1: when i'm working with dying people
0: okay and so this is bef- on- this is before you were an rn so
1: no, no, I was a registered nurse working for a hospice okay. in the early 80s Okay, when hospice was just, just. becoming, it wasn't Medicare certified. Mm. It wasn't recognized by mm. the medical establishment. It was outside of the medical model mm. and it was done mostly with volunteers and our, the hospice I worked for. Uh, was the oldest hospice in Kansas City, Mm. and it had two nurses, um, another nurse and myself. I eventually became the director of that hospice Mm. uh, and left actual direct patient care. But my knowledge came from roughly five years of direct patient care.
0: I got it. I got it. And then are you, do you feel like when you're in that five year, I'll frame it that way from now on that sort of that five year time period that you're onto something, let's say, or are you like, wait a minute, I'm, I'm in the middle of something that's brewing and this is amazing. Or are you in survival mode or?
1: I'm just doing the best that I know how to do to support people who are dying and their families.
2: Mm. And
1: during that time, most of the people who worked in end of life made it up as they went along Mm. because there wasn't any rules, there weren't any guidelines. Mm. Um, And so um, it was a learn as you go.
0: Mm. What, what, what are, tell me some of the, I mean, there's the moment where I got to pull out the yellow pad when to help this person, but from day one to whenever that day is like, what are some things like, tell me some of your most poignant, poignant, you know, aha moments, or maybe an up or a down where you're like, oh, uh, uh, you know?
1: Um, all right. All right. Let's relate this to uh, the pandemic that we're going through now. Okay. I was involved in the AIDS uh, Mm -hmm. epidemic. Mm -hmm. And when AIDS first became, um, we became aware of it. And the relationship between uh, HIV and COVID at that time in the early 80s, was we knew it was contagious, Mm. but we didn't really know how. Mm. And we knew people were dying from it. And if you got it, you were gonna die. Mm. And the very first person that I took care of was a young woman. And she came home to live with and die with her family. She lived out of state, Her husband died from a mysterious illness um, and she came home with the same illness. She was my first person that had um, AIDS. And what I said to the family on that very first visit was, I don't know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. I don't have a clue. We're going to make it up as we go along, but I will tell you any mistakes I make, those mistakes will be on the side of being overly cautious. And so I taught um, techniques on how to keep them safe. To make a long story short, the young woman died. Mm. Her two-year-old at that time was considered failure to thrive. Two years after mom dies, I get a call from grandma who was raising the little guy. Mm -hmm. And she said, I'll call him John. John um, has um, AIDS and he was, we know now two years later, we knew so much more about HIV and AIDS. Mm -hmm. And she said, he was born with it and I need your services now. Mm So here's the story that I'm going to tell you. Okay. We are, he is dying. Mm-hmm. It is a matter of hours. Mm-hmm. We're rocking him in a rocking chair in a little bedroom in grandma's home. And he's just laying there, eyes partially open, non-responsive, but all, and we're rocking him. And all of a sudden, He opens up his eyes and he starts looking around the bedroom. It was like he was looking for something. And we were startled because he had just been lying there. (laughs) And it was like the room was filled with people that we couldn't see. He's searching this room. And all of a sudden, he raised his hand and he pointed to the upper corner of this little bedroom and he called mom by name. Mm -hmm. And he stayed focused on the corner of that room until he took his last breath. You can't convince me that mom wasn't there Mm -hmm. to help him get from this world to the next. He Mm -hmm. taught me, we do not die alone. You can be on a deserted island. You will not die alone.
0: Mm, That is so beautiful. Thank you for that. My goodness, just want to breathe that in for a minute. Mm. Mm. Thank you.
1: Well, and this work has taught me so much about living as well as dying. Mm. You know, it it. It has been a gift uh, to work uh, because I have come to understand more about life.
0: Mm. Tell me some of the things that come to your mind when you start
1: Well, that we're more than our physical body that there is a driver to this vehicle that we call a body and that you know, this, <laughs>
0: I love this. It's so good. Thank you. This, go this
1: driver can get out of our car, and that's all this physical body is—is the is mm. vehicle that we use to get around in on this planet. And as as the dying process um, kicks in, um, the driver is actually releasing its hold. On mm. the physical body, mm. and um, that that process is um, months before death occurs. We we stop eating gradually. We start sleeping more. We start wow. withdrawing from this world. We really begin building our place in the other world, mm. and and that working with dying has just taught me so much about, um, about living and that it's more than just day to day. What, what my body does.
0: Mm. So let's run with that for a minute. So, so clearly you, you, perhaps and we'll say this with a complete lack of judgment so let's strip judgment off of this but perhaps you, you with your experience of of as you said with John to see that hey there's there's somebody there to guide him to help him transition to the next and 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 that perhaps i mean when I hear you say there's more to this life, I'm thinking, yes, I'm attached to all sorts of silly stupid things <laughs> that help me miss the point of life perhaps. So is that what you're saying or or there's more to life or I I think tell me what when you say I uh, there's so much more to life is what you said.
2: Okay, yes? well,
1: we tend to to think that we are born, we experience, and we die. Okay. I mean, and that, that's kind of how it works. We're born, we experience, and then we die.
0: Yep. Okay.
1: <laughs> um, and some people believe that when we die, that's it. It's over. Yeah. What working with death and dying has shown me, and mm. I'm choosing my words carefully, yeah. I have come to believe that we are more than our physical body and that um, just simply put, I have seen so many people who are dying talk to and see people that have died before them Mm. that I believe our loved ones who have died before us come to help us get from this world to the next. Mm. And over a period of weeks before death, it's kind of like we're building our, we're letting go of this world, but we're Mm. building our place, so to speak, in whatever that other world is. I love that. I think in the weeks to even months before death, on an internal level, and we may not share it with anyone, on an internal level, we're processing our life. We're saying, what have I done? Who have I touched? What has it all been about? And mm. we we withdraw because our work becomes this internal processing of what was life for me about. And, you, you know, that's work done by one, and that's us inside. And that's, I believe, preparation for our dying. Mm-hmm.
0: It's interesting. Um, I just have this thought of people who suddenly die, right? Like the quick.
1: Mm-hmm. Past y- death.
0: Yeah. What are your insights there? Like what, 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 what do you have an opinion on? I'm I'm trying to formulate the thought here because all of a sudden it's so striking to me that if we are perhaps lucky enough to die of natural causes, just, you know, my, my stepdad just passed away at 93. Um, His body finally just shut down, right? It was so natural causes. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm sorry. I'm gonna say this. He was pissed. He's like, I want to get out of bed, <laughs> and it's like, there's nothing we can do. No physical therapist is gonna is going to um, alleviate the situation. And he was like, I'll tell you what's interesting. And I say this with love. And I, it's so clear to me that m- m- I project my experience onto other people. So I look at Bob, who's passing away, and and I'm interpreting interpreting it as though he's upset about he's going to pass away and, and and these things. And I'm like, that's probably just me still not come to the terms with the fact. I mean, I get closer all the time, but not coming to turn or being upset that my ego is going to go away and all these things. But um, any comments on that before I go on?
1: Well, um, I think you probably we do project, we watch um, what's going on outside of us. Yeah. And of course we, we internalize it um, and, and think about it from who we are. Yeah. You know, we do that with everything. Yeah. That's being human. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: and lo- you're, Yeah. You're, love you're good. You're good. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Of course. I, I, so Bob, He was a beautiful man and just, you know, it's, I was lucky at this point, or I I would say I was lucky to have uh, the stepdad experience. So someone steps into my life when they're 13, when I was 13 years old, you know, so I didn't have the uh, zero to 13 experience to cloud my perception of (laughs) the father figure. Um, So uh, Bob you know, he had what I would say was a, was a very a, a good life. Let's call it, you know, had kids, you know, was of of service to my mother and me, as far as, you know, just being loving and all these things and, and, you know, saved enough money and, you know, left things to his kids and had a great career. And then it was very profound to me that at 92 or three, my perception was, is that he was still like There's more to do. This is baloney. Like this has happened too fast. Um, You know what I mean? It was like, I was like, what? Anyway.
1: Okay. What I want to say is there are dynamics to dying. Mm -hmm. We are going to die the way we've lived. We are going to die according to our personality our personality doesn't change just because we're dying. Actually, it intensifies. So, if someone was kind of outspoken in living, then they're going to be very outspoken in dying.
2: Okay. If
1: they're laid back, easygoing in living, they'll be little marshmallows in mm-hmm. dying. So, you look at a person's personality and you will just watch it intensify in the months before death. Mm. In the weeks before death, they're withdrawing, and you're not going to have much personality at all. But in the months before death, and if he didn't have an an active disease process, being just old, he began the dying process years Gradually, his body was shutting down. Mm. Gradually, he was going through um, his body releasing. He was gradually dying. Mm. It's just that that process takes longer when there isn't an active disease process.
0: Mm. I love that. Thank you for that. Um, I was thinking about my mother who passed away she passed away of cancer that's when i was introduced to this book booklet excuse me um (laughs) tail end of 2012 and i was thinking my mother was a force right a personality and and um the way you said that there'll be that moment where that personality perhaps intensifies as as and i love that insight thank you so much for that um that's beautiful insight um but I was thinking of my mother and when she passed and um, she, uh, she was stubborn <laughs> and I say that with love, <laughs> um, but literally, you know, she should have been in hospice in bed, but she was still dragging Bob around to the doctor to get the blood test or, or whatever it was. Right. So it had stopped eating. I love the part in here where it talks about how your body it's. Due to how God created us or the genetics or however you want, I like how you said it, that we're designed that way. Um, the body at some point says no more food, right? Because I'm done here in effect, right? right. Yeah. So mom, Krista, my mother um, has stopped eating for a good 10 days or something like that, but it's still, you know, <laughs> dragging people to the hospital. And, um, uh, just you were the way you know her person now. I see it now that you've said that. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's mom being mom, you know, up until the end. Um, but uh, I have more mom stories, but I'll save them. We'll see if they have an opportunity to come up. But so there's the like the you get to die of old age, you get to have a disease that perhaps you know, uh, uh, kills you. And so you get to experience uh, more of the, you know, the the, the death cycle. W- what's your opinion on the, like the sun and death cycle? <laughs> I don't know if I'm saying that right. So, the way you talked about John, you know, being guided. What about the person that? dies suddenly. Thoughts on that? Or I I know this is there. I'm not sure if there's a question in there. I'm just interested in your perspective.
1: Well, fast death is that you're alive one minute and you're dead the next. (laughs) I mean, it's just that simple, but it's also extra hard on us, the survivors, you know, because gradual death old age or disease Mm. is an opportunity to do and say that which we want to do and say it's a gift of time the opportunity to interact and know that this person isn't going to be here very long
2: Mm.
1: with fast death um it's an accident you know the the body wasn't preparing to die. Something interfered with life. Yes, and that person is gone. So there's no process to it. Mm. You're just alive one minute and dead the next.
0: Mm. And so it's. it's mo- oh, go ahead. Sorry.
1: And it's a shock to not to everyone. And I would guess that it's a shock to the person that died. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what just happened
0: here is there in the other side or whatever is Is there like wait a minute (laughs) thank you for that um so my mother um i'll talk about the food thing for a second so my mom's passing away of cancer and uh i live in encinitas she lived up in berkeley with bob uh, my stepfather, and my mom was seventy years old. Um, and uh, it's a couple weeks, maybe five, six, seven days somewhere, the time frame that within that two week period of till she's uh, uh, gonna pass away and and um, there's the frustration that she's not eating anymore, right? and and um, you know, Bob, Bob, I'm about to get on a plane and Bob's like freaking out. She can't eat everything I feed her. She throws up and we're trying to figure out what to, to, what, uh, you know, what she can eat. And she's in this process too, trying to placate everybody. Yes, I'll eat. And, um, again, my perception that she's, you know, trying to keep people happy until the, (laughs) until she's gone, um, and so this was the moment for me. So I'm like, well, I'm on my way up there. I'm on a plane. It's clear the end is near. I'll be there. I'll see you in a couple hours or whatever. Jump on a plane, get up there. And so actually Bob and I had this beautiful moment of we're like, maybe smoothies are the answer, right? Maybe yeah. <laughs> maybe smoothies are the answer. So it's it's 9.55 and we're rushing to every smoothie store before they close at 10 o'clock. And it's a, it's a really... Bonding moment for Bob and I, and you know we're having great stories and all this, and we find a smoothie, feed her, feed it to her, and of course she, her body rejects it. Um, and then it's around that time where the hospice nurse, she was, she was transitioning in her house, hands me this, right, and I'm like, read through it, and then it talks about how your body. The vehicle is like, yeah, I'm not necessary anymore. And I was like, oh my goodness. And that's where this dropped in. And so, very fortunately, that last seven days, let's just call it, I can't remember the exact time frame, went from being, how did you say it, uh, terrifying to magical, right? Because, yeah. My mom is j- just in, in an expedited period because she was so f- such a force of nature. So I got to see like perhaps three months in seven days is the only way I could say it. Um, but uh, yeah, so she starts disconnecting from everybody, right? She's like, hey, I am transitioning and you guys are keeping me here on the earthly plane. So stop touching me. I want to go to the room, my room. I don't want to eat anymore. Um, and it can be so hard on the living because, well, it seemed to me from I had this moment of being able to see the whole dynamic from a step back of how, you know, Bob's trying to comfort her, he's trying to be comforted, and how. But she's like, no, you're keeping me to this plane. And so it feels to the living like you're being rejected. Right? Can you speak to that? Am I talking about that right? Or is that, is that what you see a lot? Or, or you saw a lot? or?
1: I, um, you're, you're talking about the withdrawal of the person uh, who's dying. And that withdrawal from this world begins two three four months before death occurs
2: Mm.
1: but then there's another shift that is about one to three weeks where they literally go completely within themselves and it's not that they're consciously doing it it's an unconscious natural process. Mm. I, I look at it as they're disconnecting all of their threads, all of their ties from this world. This isn't interest of interest to them anymore. Mm. They're building their place elsewhere. And to do that, they have to go within. And it isn't that they don't want to eat. They can't eat. Love it. Their body rejects the food. Mm. It isn't that they don't want, it isn't that they want to sleep more and more and more. It's that their body just goes to sleep more and more and more. And it isn't that they don't want to interact with us. It's the body that's disconnecting and it's going within that driver that we talked about is, is going within and preparing to leave. And so everything that your mother did Mm -hmm. was normal, was Mm -hmm. natural, was how people die. Mm -hmm. She couldn't eat. Mm -hmm. She wanted to, to, disconnect and not mm. consciously yeah it's unconsciously i love that okay you know it's just like we breathe unconsciously you mm. know we don't think about every breath we take our mm. body breathes on its own well the not eating the sleeping withdrawing that's the body that's doing it it's preparing to leave mm.
0: Thank you for that. I love that. I think um, a little line. Use this guideline while remembering there is nothing concrete here. I love that. Um, be flexible. <laughs> be flexible. That's right. right. Um, I'm just going to read this paragraph if that's all right. I just uh, uh, if the following signs were is that all right if I read a paragraph oh. real quick? Okay, sure. awesome. If the following signs were to be put on a timetable, a very flexible timetable, we could say these changes begin one two, three months before death occurs. The actual dying process often begins within the two weeks prior to death. There is a shift that occurs within a person. And this is just backing up what you were just telling me. Um, or yes. So, uh, I'm getting to the line that's most profound um, that occurs within a person that takes them from a mental processing of death to a true comprehension and belief in their own mortality. Unfortunately, this understanding is not always shared with others. That's the line. Unfortunately, this understanding is not always shared with others. Can you address that line?
1: Well, in the weeks before death, a person is so withdrawn from their body. They're sleeping most of the time. They're not making sense. They're talking to and about uh, people and things that we don't understand. Um, They're sleeping with their eyes partially open. They're often agitated restless picking at the air they are not uh in a place where they're going to have a profound conversation with you about what they're experiencing
0: thank you i love that you want to you know how i read that line okay tell me and it's it's i i look at it because As I've had the opportunity to try to share the wisdom in this booklet, people reject it. They're like, oh, no, mom's going to (laughs) eat. Oh, no, we'll get her back on her feet. Oh, no, she will accept my love, right? Um, So I I, I love your perspective. And again, it points to my perception of (laughs) my control issues i think uh but i i was hoping you could address that a little bit how how the denial of the of the family that's going to live perhaps can make the process more frustrating for for everybody
1: well that's- because we have limited control over the time that we die and we haven't really talked about that but we do. We have limited control over the time that we die. We will try often, we will try to stay here for those that we love. Um, and so when a family is is in denial, when a family is having a very, very hard time understanding that it, mom indeed is dying, mm. then mom, will, it'll often make her labor longer because she will try to stay here. Now she can't, but she has limited control. That limited control also works with the, the fact that, um, uh, how's this? I, I told mom I was going to be with her. I told her she would not die alone. And I stayed with her for hours and she didn't die and she didn't die. And I was there loving her through it. And I went, I went to pee. And while I was in the bathroom, mom died, you know, and it's like, wait a minute. If I had just waited, I'd have been there. And the thing is, mom would have waited also. Okay, yeah, you know? So that. we have limited control over mm. the time that we die. Mm. And so when families are really having a hard time, um, that almost says that the person's staying here, they're trying. Mm. So that leads me into something I think is important. And that is in the hours to minutes before death. When the person is completely withdrawn, they've gone within and they are in labor and they're actively dying know that a person can hear you Mm. i believe a person can hear you even in the moments following death and Mm. that's kind of going out on a limb there but i Mm. think we don't know for sure when the driver of the car leaves the area Mm. so I encourage everyone who is there at the bedside in the days to hours before I think death is coming to go in alone and talk to the person that's dying. Now, they're not, there isn't going to be a conversation because they're laying there breathing slowly. They're in labor. They're not responding. Remember, we don't go from like in the movies saying something profound. <laughs> So they're they're not responding, Mm. but you talk and say what's in your heart. Talk about the good times, talk about the challenging times, say your goodbyes Mm. um, and know that the person can hear you. For a death in the home, following that death, then I also have each individual go in and spend time alone with the body because that's going to be the last normal natural time that you have with this person that died. And to, again, talk to them, you can crawl in bed with them. You can hold their body, do whatever before the funeral home comes, because that's your last opportunity to say goodbye in a natural setting. You
0: know what? Thank you for that. Um, After Bob passed away, he was in his bed, in his house, in his favorite room, you know. Um, And Lori, his daughter, uh, who else was in the room? I think Waylon, my young son, um, my younger son, who's 18 now. A couple of us were just sitting there having a natural, normal conversation as he's like over my shoulder. (laughs) And so... I thank you for that cuz it it uh, I would have these these glimpses I'm like is this weird or what it was almost like Bob's last that's what he liked right so it was almost like a little gift for all of us including Bob if he was still hanging out to have that
1: Absolutely that good job one. good yeah. job
0: thank you thank you very much <laughs> thank you for that um so I kind of had this idea in my head and I think that you are definitely squashing that idea that, um, if someone's trying to disconnect from the earthly, um, uh, sensations so they can transition, um, I almost felt like it was a disservice talking to the person who's dying, maybe in that last couple of days or last hours, cause you're actually holding them back or don't touch them or, it sounds like I'm totally missing the boat on all of that.
1: Yeah, the, um, have ha- have everyone in there. You can mm. talk. You can have the dog, the cat on the bed. You can mm. crawl in bed. Each person needs that opportunity to say goodbye.
2: Mm. But
1: then sit in the room, walk, look at the scrapbooks, tell mm. stories. Um,
0: even while they're still alive in the last hours, days, whatever,
1: absolutely, absolutely. Mm. Um, it's it's, you're building memories and you're supporting that person that's dying by your presence and your love. Mm. And you know, um, you can have the lights on, the shades open. You know, you don't have to have a dark room with a candle going just because someone's dying. Um, it is a communal social event. It is not a medical event. Mm. It is about people and support and loving that person who's leaving.
0: Mm. Mm. Thank you. Thank you for that. That's beautiful. And thank you for... I have a new perspective that I clearly needed. So, if all else fails, I have a new perspective to share. So, thank you. Oh, and,
1: you're welcome. This has uh, been interesting. We've had some good, good topics here.
0: Yeah, um, I want to switch to the my friend I care the grief experience really quick. Um, so you're so Joey, you know, I was talking a little bit about both my parents died in rapid rapid succession. So my mom had cancer. And uh, so she did the gradual death. Um, I'm loving these new terms, by the way. Thank you. (laughs) Two weeks later, cell phone rings in the afternoon. I had just been texting or emailing my father. Hey, I have a crush on a new girl or whatever. And he's like, oh, that's great. Or you said her name. He's like, you haven't said a girl's name in years or whatever he said. So phone rings that afternoon from dad's cell. And I'm like, Oh, Hey dad. And, and, uh, excuse me. Uh, he goes, uh, this isn't your dad. This is Tom. And I was like, Oh no. Right. So my father had the heart attack, the fast death experience. Um, so it was rapid succession for me. And, um, stepdad passed away. What in June of 2020 of just, Uh, natural causes, but where's the little note? But Joey was so sweet to me. I'd ordered 40 of the gone from my site booklets and Joey sent me a nice little handwritten note and said, well, you know, my friend, I care, maybe read this for, you know, because you're, yeah, because of, you know, my parents and the grief and such. And I just want to talk about that for a second. I I'm very struck by Julia is your daughter-in-law. Yes. Yes. Um, I'm in the space the past couple years of really trying to change my perspective of things and and see the beauty everywhere I can and see the love and, and not be so judgmental of myself. It's like this chicken or the egg thing like a part of my journey is to bend to lighten up on people and lighten up on myself. And some days it's like, if I would just ease up on myself, maybe I could be easier on other people. And that could just be the mental, the mental game, right? Like I'm tired of judging people, places and things. And I'm, I'm perhaps painting a harsher picture than it is. Cause I'm a, I'm a good guy. I'm a good father. I'm a good ex-husband. I'm a I'm a good friend but no butts. However, we continually get to shed layers, sand down the rough edges, right? And so I've really been trying to see love and beauty and more of these things and and so then I feel like I stumble across your family honestly in your Daughter Joey, she's your daughter. Yes, just so gracious and sweet, and interested and supportive. And I was like, "Oh my gosh!" Right? And she's like, "Email Joey." All right, like, all right. I'll email Joey. I'll set up and see if we can get you know Barbara you on the phone. Send her an email, and just again, so so sweet and and uh, the openness that. Is there and um and then your graciousness to quickly jump on a call. And you're such a a sweet spirit. I'm sure you hear that now and then. Yeah. 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 Um, or maybe not. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I try to be a good guy. Yeah. So thank you. I just want to say thank you for all that. And I don't know what my point is, other than it's been a beautiful experience with your family right from the start. So let's talk about your family. I mean, were you as a mother trying to raise your daughters like this? And I think that's almost a silly question because of course we are as parents, but it seems like something's going on with your family, super sweet, super, is this Midwestern ideals or what? where were you born or your family or...
1: Wow. Um, I I, I don't know how to answer that. I, I am truly blessed with three um, incredible children and a wonderful daughter in law, who is a daughter of my heart. Uh, I may not have given birth to her, but she's, she's a daughter. Um, and I, I don't know why they're so wonderful. Mm-hmm. I know I know that I feel I'm on this planet to educate and um, to educate and about end of life. That's what I'm here for.
2: Mm-hmm. I
1: feel strongly about that. And that that began actually when I was in my 40s. Uh, up to that point, I was raising kids. Mm. Um, but why Why they're all so wonderful,
0: I don't know. A <laughs> little bit of luck.
1: Yeah. <laughs> what blessed. the heck? Someone's got to have it. <laughs> just blessed. I do know that um, the desire to be of service mm. uh, is very much a part of Barbara Karn's books. I mean, because that this is why I'm on this planet and they support me in that. Mm -hmm. And so um, it isn't just that we sell books. It isn't that I just write materials or have a blog. It isn't just that. Mm -hmm. It's if someone calls into our office, then we are there to support them and their story, and to guide them. Um, so it isn't just me educating about end of life, everyone who's involved with Barbara Karn's books. It's we're about the humanity of what people are experiencing and believe that uh, the fact that that someone has called us on the phone then that means that was supposed to be, and it's an opportunity to support and guide them and love them for being human. Mm. So that's, that's what we're about. It isn't just Mm. selling books.
0: Mm. I love that it comes through and I I love the, the service, the service aspect. Uh, And it's there, it's clear, it's self-evident. And thank you for, describing it. Um, so the grief experience, let me see if I can quickly find the paragraph that I love so much. Well, I, my parents both die rapidly. I had just gotten divorced. My career was in upheaval. So I think there were, not I think, there was grief about career because I'm having shifts in career. There's grief about my parents dying. There's grief about mm, the divorce, the end of, of, uh, you know, that relationship there. Dawn is my boy's mom's name and she's a dear friend now. So I think healing as is referenced in here has been very referenced in here. The, my friend, I care the grief experience booklet, uh, It's been very powerful to be able to heal that relationship as best we can with Dawn. Um, where am I going with this? Uh, I lost my train of thought. Bear with me. Um, oh, so then I date another girl, move her in. She's got a couple of young kids. We try the blended family and, uh, and that ends, it was a two year relationship, you know, peak crash, uh, and the way you describe grief about someone who has died, I really felt it as I read it this morning in the My Friend I Care booklet um, about, Cat was her name, about when Cat and I broke up, I was almost, uh, it was like a death. I was just like, oh my gosh, the full grief experience as I'm reading this was about the death of that relationship. And so can you talk to that a little bit?
1: Absolutely. Um, we, we experience many deaths and you, you touched on them. There's, you lose your job. It's a death of a, of a job. You move to a different mm. place. It's a death of where you live there. The death of relationships. There's um, with COVID right now, you know, that the death of our freedom to come and go. There's mm. all kinds of deaths that we experience every day in our life that we're not even aware of, but we're grieving. Mm. And we grieve the same way for all of the deaths. And we mm. tend to think of, well, if a, phys- if a person physically dies, yes, I will grieve. Um, but there are many. And then, add think of the many deaths that you've had in the last two years, we'll we'll go with there, you know, all these deaths close together, intensify your grief. Mm. It makes the grief you would feel for one person is magnified for all of the people. So when Bob died, who died after your mother, right? Mm -hmm. Bob's death triggered the grief that you feel for your mother. Mm -hmm. And so now you're not only grieving consciously for Bob, but unconsciously you're grieving for your mom, also and you just don't realize it so grief builds upon itself with each death and that happens whether it's a job or what kind of marriage whatever grief it is grief is a whole bunch of emotions all rolled into one package that we call grief and you know you can be angry about something and all of a sudden go what am i doing why why am i feeling this
0: right and, i just broke my pencil lead what was going on? yes
1: and that is you know you're channeling your grief unconsciously through that ang- emotion of anger
0: mm. thank you for that um I, I want to say something in regards to that. So in, I've been in recovery for decades. Um, and so part of uh, the recovery sort of frame or optic or the way the lens is like anger is bad. Right. And so I think when I think, and I'm still trying to sort through it, Um it's like finding healthier ways of of releasing that emotion or that grief outside of anger because anger can be so dangerous for somebody who's in recovery, let's say. Can you – does that – I don't know if there's a question in there or
1: – I think the self-awareness that you have is – a really special tool that it sounds to me like you've really worked hard uh, to have this self-awareness tool. Mm. And when we're angry, um, we need to have that self-awareness tool to, to recognize, Oh, I might be intensifying my anger because of this feeling. And then you've got to target what triggered,
2: Mm.
1: you know, where did this come from? Mm. Um, And, you know, you can be angry and it has nothing to do with grief, Mm. Uh, but a lot of times it is our grief
2: Mm. now on the Mm. same
1: with depression, Mm -mm. all of these emotions. Mm. Um, And right now in this, um, year of, of abnormality that we've all lived through that we'll look back and classify as the pandemic. (laughs) Um, we are grieving whether we've had a physical death in our life or not. Um, and that, um, I think it's unrealized grief that a lot of where our anger and our frustration and our protests and all of this, what's going on um, in the world is related to the grief that's caused by the pandemic.
0: I love that thought. Um, I like the thought too, that, uh, You know, perhaps we're grieving the old way, which we won't get back to, and perhaps trying to come to terms—is that good or bad? Right, and the old way could be structures of society, structures of the, uh, you know, uh, what's it called—the the GD the the gross domestic product Mm -hmm. machine.
1: (laughs) Well, and you know, in saying that. Um, We have had our rituals taken away from us this year, Mm -hmm. Um, the ritual of funerals, uh, of memorial services, Mm -hmm. the rituals of being at the bedside when someone's dying. Mm -hmm. You know, um, we've had these rituals taken away and we are grieving those as well because Mm -hmm. we are creatures, we are humans um, built with rituals you know mm. we respond to rituals mm. and that brings us a sense of stability and normalcy and we we've lost that we've mm. lost those rituals mm. that bring help us keep stable mm. to help us be stable mm. and that's funerals and um, just the being able to
0: be somebody with somebody yeah. in, the, in the hospital room or what have you or 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 having guilt free a, a gathering at your house where you're not wondering about masks. Yes.
1: Or- well, you know, and part of, of our dying rituals and our funeral rituals is. The church ladies aren't bringing the tuna casserole. You know, they're not coming over and saying, how are you? How are you today? And yes, a Zoom is wonderful and telephones are great. It's not the same as human touch and closeness. And that's been taken away from us. And whether we realize it or not, we're grieving, we're mm. grieving so many things.
0: So many things. Um, I think you said something uh, a lot earlier in our conversation that is very profound, which I'm going to bring up again, is that in your example, the, 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 young, the young boy we called John, um, that drove home the fact to you that whether we know it or not, there is somebody ethereal guiding you through death. So people that are listening to this can take comfort in the fact that even though you're not there to be by the bedside of your parents, your brother, your, your daughter, your son, your friend, you can take solace in the fact that they are being guided through the death process by something.
1: Also what I think brings comfort is to know That the person isn't that isn't totally aware. Um, It's not like they're Mm. in the movies saying something profound. (laughs) You know, the person who is dying from disease in the hospital in the nursing facility, if it is a gradual death, Mm. then that labor they're non-responsive. Yes, Mm. they can hear but it isn't like they're aware of their surroundings. Everything for them is like a far off distant dream. They can hear, but as in a distance, just picture yourself. If you're just Mm. waking up and you're not totally awake and you, you kind of, you're aware that you're in bed, but it's all distant. That's what they're, experiencing and feeling. It's not the panic of, oh my God, this is my last breath.
0: Mm. And if I'm hearing you say this as well, is that um, perhaps if we can let go of time and space for a moment to pretend as if the dying party is next to you, when even though they're the hospital, if you just act as if, then you can both experience the I natural progress.
1: So glad you brought that up because here's what I suggest and have been suggesting for a while is if you can't be with your special person in the days to hours before they die, or even if it's weeks, I don't care how long it is. Sit down at home in your favorite recliner, close your eyes and picture in your mind, your loved one in bed asleep. And then go over to the bed and do what your heart tells you to do. That may be to mentally crawl in bed with them and hold them. Mm -hmm. It may be to sit on the bed and hold their hand. Whatever your heart tells you to do in your mind, And then start talking to them and say what your heart tells you to say. Talk about the good, the challenging, talk about anything you want to say with love in your heart, in your mind. And then at some point you'll have said it all and just still hold that picture in your mind of your loved one as long as you need to at some point you'll, you'll say to yourself, okay. And then you can get up out of your chair and you can go on about your day. It's not perfect, but it's better than nothing when you can't be with them Mm. and thoughts are things, thoughts are things.
0: Barbara, thank you so much for that. Um, it's beautiful. Um, When the second relationship ended for me and Kat, I say with love, um, moved out. I feel like my life up until that point went like this suppress more emotions than I'm taking in. At some point, I was like, all right, I'm balanced here. I'm letting out as much as I'm taking in. Right. And then that, so there was the, you know, the divorce these other uh, traumatic experiences or grief inducing experiences um, which I would include in there that my perspective on how life worked, how life is these ideas, many of them were shattered and I say that in a beautiful way, but still ideas died. So I have those sorts of deaths happening. Then the next relationship with uh, you know the with uh, with the girlfriend at the time ends and it was like I hit a turning point or a tipping point where what you noticed about me is that I'm you know I definitely like the the self-awareness and things. it was like there was no hiding anymore and the emotions had to come out. and um, so I, I cried <laughs> I literally cried every day for. And sometimes like seriously crying and sometimes just a little tear, but for two to three years. Um, but what it felt like to me was that I was ge- I was purging generational pain. Like not only was I crying my own stuff out, but perhaps emotions that my mother had never been able to release. My father, let's just say generations forward and back, if you believe those sorts of things. Um, Any thoughts on that?
1: Well, the first thing I thought of was the term hitting bottom.
2: Mm.
1: Familiar with that? Yes. And in life, oftentimes to really grow, we have to hit bottom. Mm. Life has to be so challenging and so hard that we have to start swimming up to the surface and um, that's where some of our best growth comes from. And, you know, I, I remember my bottom mm. when I hit it and how I turned and, and life changed. And I think most of us human beings, um, if we really examine our life, we can find that point And it's an opportunity. And some of us take that opportunity and some of us don't. Mm,
0: Thank you, Barbara. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about, I want to ask you about your bottom and see if you're willing to discuss it, (laughs) but we'll hold that. (laughs) I had this other idea and you can tell me your opinion on it. And I, I love that, we can have this conversation so thank you um so you know the idea that we're all energetically connected right and so and so as i'm healing this you know these these energy these thoughts as i'm releasing these emotions i've hit bottom I'm, I'm 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 growing i'm i'm leaning in and it's uncomfortable as can be right for me like it truly was like my identity was just like crack (laughs) so my boys i was i had this idea that as i'm healing and and getting correct energetically if you want to use that terminology that since we're all connected like and my boys are dna connected perhaps they get to heal without even having to do anything because i'm healing any thoughts on that?
1: Well, it, your healing certainly provided um, provides a healthier environment and relationship mm. you know, with with not only your boys but with everyone. Mm. Um, so that's the positive. The thing is, each one of us, have our own path to tread mm. and our own bottom to run into.
2: <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> because that's the name of the game. It's
0: the name of the game. You
1: yeah. know, we're, we're born, we experience, and then we die. Mm. And life is a school, and school can be hard work. Mm. You know, it. there is no perfect relationship. There is no perfect life. You know, life is hard work. Mm. And that's what it's about. And so, and as parents, believe me, I would love to shelter my kids so that they didn't have to experience pain and growth. But that, that doesn't happen because... That's not what life is about mm. you know we're all here to learn um, and we learn through challenges
0: Thank you um, I have an, an. would you care to discuss your bottom at all or uh, <laughs> or maybe you can be vague about it it sounds <laughs> like it's you know it's the per the topic of the um of the podcast, you know, it's the bitch slap or that, that moment that you just so eloquently said, we hit that bottom. And how do we respond? Do we, do we, what it sounds like to me for you, I I don't know if this is a part of your bottom, but clearly you somewhere along the way, you're like, my life is about service. I'm called to, to spread the message or provide comfort or help people with the death experience. And, educate comfort whatever um so thank you for sharing that all that um but it sounds like there's a point for you where you saw things one way and then overnight saw them the other way
1: I did um I had um two children and I was pregnant with a third or I thought it was a third um and Actually, it was twins and they died. And I carried them in my belly for a month, Mm. uh, knowing they were dead and was told, um, you know, we'll just wait till you go into labor. Fortunately, after a month, I fell down and I went into labor. I think that was a turning point in that I really, this is going to sound, I really appreciated my family more Mm. up to that point, you know, oh, I'm going to get pregnant and I did and I'm going to have, you know, three children and life is going to be perfect and wonderful. Mm. And that loss taught me that I didn't have control over what was perfect and wonderful and that life doesn't always go the way you want it to. Mm. And I think that was the turning point of me asking, what is life all about? Mm. You know, what, what am I here for? That was when I started asking questions Mm. and it was through um, years of, self-awareness study. And, and I think I read every book you could find and it was, what's the, what is life about? Mm. And that was in my Mm. thirties. And I think that that loss, that experience uh, of being that close to death, literally carrying Mm. it in Mm. me um, is what was my hitting bottom and Mm. turning point.
0: Mm. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Um, Did you have a sense as you were uh, being a mother and, you know, uh, so we've got uh, bottom, you get to be a mother, a stay-at-home mom, I think you said, right? Mm -hmm. And then you get to uh, embrace this uh, hospice opportunity and that space between bottom and hospice opportunity, is there turmoil in you or do you have a sense that something's coming or this is where you're reading all these books and it's an, am- an amalgamation of all that? Or
1: you, It was a, a growing time. It's like I spent those years figuring out for me what life was about. And it was, you know, do I want to be a chaplain? So I went to the, Mm. to, um, uh, to become a chaplain. And after a year and a half, uh, "Mm, nope, that's not it. Um, And, you know, just was looking and I was so thirsty for knowledge about Mm. what, what is life about? Mm. And so from the point of, hitting bottom to um, to the mid seventies.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I reached a point where I was teaching self-awareness classes mm. um, and hospice and that philosophy just kind of slid in
2: mm. and
1: into all this knowledge. And then I thought, wow, with what I believe about living and dying, I can work with people who are dying. I have something to offer because um, I feel that, that death and dying is part of, of my knowledge foundation. Mm. And so that I kind of gravitated toward that. Now I look back at my life. And it all comes to this point. Everything that happened has happened to get me to where I am today and how I can be of service. Mm
2: -hmm. I
1: just, you know, when, when you're swimming and you're in the water, you don't realize how close, you know, where you're going.
0: Yeah. Tell me, tell me uh, two questions. Uh, um, quick what what are your what are the two or three books that stand out during this growth no, thirst for knowledge time
1: oh my um, <laughs> okay i just found this this yesterday the day before i was going through my tablet of 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 book, ebooks that i've read and came across Illusions by Richard Bach. Mm. And I thought to myself if I had to be on a deserted island I would take this book with me and I've read it many times because it gives a per- a different perspective on what you see and what you're living. Basically everything is an illusion. Nothing is what it appears to be. Mm. Um, And so that to me is a really profound, easy read, little paperback book, easy. Uh, But I loved, I love that book. Um, You know, I, I studied a course called Shusta, which is an ancient wisdom three year course. Which opened my eyes to to life, um, and and then S S H U S T A H. Okay. Um, and uh, the woman that wrote that course um, was my teacher, which was wonderful. Ah. Um, anyway, there was mm. there's so much, so much that that have has broadened my mind. And, and um, it, it has allowed me to think outside the box. Mm. And I think that that's important to mm. be able to look beyond just the, the structure that we tend to live in.
0: Thank you so much for that. And thank you for being willing to think outside the box because uh, I, thank you it's it's uh the payoff it's clearly the tentacles are g- g- expanding um i like the illusions too i love the thing of what you said about illusions um you like everything's an illusion which On one hand can be so horrifying but on the other hand can be so freeing right if we're like wait a minute all this is an illusion these things that we attach to are it's not even real like if i'm really willing to learn into that to really willing to lean into that there's
1: tremendous freedom on the other side yes oh absolutely i mean think about how we interact with people i mean that's an illusion you know, I can say to you, um, well, I don't want to, ins- okay. Um,
0: <laughs> insult me. It's okay. Go ahead.
1: <laughs> I, I'm just using this uh, as, as an example. Fired. I can say to you, I think your hair coloring is just the coolest thing. Yes. And in my mind, I can think, Oh my God, what has he done? You know, <laughs> that's the illusion that we have all the time mm. and 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 yet we take you know you may now think oh my gosh she doesn't like my hair what am i gonna do you know and we we take and we take illusion as and we take it and treat it as real mm. and there is nothing really quote, really, um, it's all illusion.
0: It's all illusion.
1: Yeah. Uh-huh. That's this planet. Mm. You know, and I listen to the news mm. and and I'll buy into what's going on, what Lester's saying, you know, and I'll buy into it. And then I have to go, wait a minute. That's illusion too. Yeah. Mm. You know, it's all illusion. And then the trick is you've got to find what's real mm. for you. And what's real for me is not necessarily what's real for you.
2: Mm.
1: And that's why we're on this planet. That that's is what life is about.
0: Awesome. Thank you for that, Barbara. That is awesome. Um, natural, by the way. It's my, <laughs> my natural <laughs> hair color. I just God was like, here you go. Shwack. <laughs> it's it's funny i um i i've always wanted to grow out my hair and it's taken me uh till this age to uh have the willingness and the fortitude to um to to do it um it's been a lot of fun it's been a lot of fun uh so i i have another thought that i think you might enjoy or question um so you know, I used to have when people would be have conviction such as yourself about uh, the other side or greater things or God or whatever your belief is. Um, since I couldn't comprehend it myself, like at all, or didn't have the willingness to to go there, um, I wouldn't believe it was real. I was like, "You can't believe it because I can't see it." Does that kind of make sense?
1: It does. We all do that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yes. It's a mistake. Yeah. Yes. So I came across and I think it's either in the Bhagavad Gita or the sutras. I think it's the Bhagavad Gita where the thought is like, look, until you can lean into death and, and face that and try to grasp it as best you can, you will have no conception of what's on the other side. And I was like, well, that's an interesting concept. Right. So that was a big turning point for me. So I was like, yeah, I had a, a teacher at the time who was like, meditate on death. And I was like, meditate on death. You know, so this was around the time that my parents died and all that. And And so, <clears throat> excuse me, I found that, or I am finding that the more I embrace death, transition, all these things, and lean in and really like uh, the illusions that you discussed. um, Like I'm starting to get glimpses of the other side. So someone such as yourself, that's been, you know, had the bottom that you had where, you know, death was involved. I mean, on a, on a, on a literal level where you're, as you said, and I, I say this with an open heart that you were carrying it around with you. Um, and then you get to, to do, you know, be on the front of the hospice revolution, shall we say, which still seems to be in swing and is badly, badly needed. I think just the, the frontline hospice workers like have been all such patients, love, caring, profound, um, like the heart that's involved in that is beautiful. So thank you for that. And any hospice person listening. um, So you have experienced lots of death or educating, educating uh, people about it. So I'm like, wow, you must have some insights into the other side, I guess is the point of that little rant. Tell me about that.
1: Well, I I do have my belief, my illusion. Okay. Um, but I don't share that because I don't want someone to get caught up in mm. my belief and have it be different than theirs, mm. and have them say, "Wow." This is what she believes and it's contra to what I do. And then they negate everything, all of my teachings. So I don't talk politics and I don't talk religion.
0: I love that. Thank you so much for that. I just did. I just recorded this um, podcast episode. I haven't published it yet, but it was, it's the 10 steps. It's the 10 simple steps to publishing every day. All right. And uh, step number, uh, hold on, bear with me. You'll see what I'm talking about. Oh, step number three, decide what you are willing to talk about.
1: Yeah, there you go.
0: There you go. I love that. So thank you for that. And I appreciate that. And I appreciate the fact that I know that you have insight and that provides comfort to me. Even though we may not discuss it, so thank you.
1: Well, and you and I can discuss it off the record sometime. I love
0: that. Thank you, you so know. much. Perfect. Um, we are clocking in at a, at an hour and thirty seven or forty minutes or something like that. Like what what what? I, I'm going to hand the reins to you. You've so graciously followed my lead. Like what do you feel like? we've missed anything or what, what, go ahead.
1: Well, I, it, it's been exciting talking to you because we have covered such a wide range of topics um, and about living. Mm. And, and I think we, we can get so caught up in dying and death that we forget mm. that it's all about living until we are dead and you know we get caught up in medical treatment and there is a is a is a time for for medical treatment but there's also a time for physicians and medical personnel to step up and say hey we've given it our best shot and we can't fix you so that that person can take their gift of time and use it wisely. Mm. Instead, what we tend to do is um, have every possible treatment and surgery, and we try until we end up on in an ICU on a ventilator, mm. and you know, and are being coded, and they're mm. breaking our chest bones. Um, You know, if we could just recognize that dying is a part of life Mm. and it's all about living the best we can until we are dead.
0: Mm. Thank you so much for that, Barbara. Um, I think that's a great place to end. Um, What I'm going to do is I'm just going to stop the recording, but we can talk offline for a minute. Yes. Sure. Sure. All right. Fantastic. Thank you so much. You're welcome, Barbara. Barbara and I are, are back. I um, r- realized I had one more question and you had said something, uh, you know, what's gotten you, to, what's gotten you to this point And then you implied or that, Hey, there's next. So what what what's next? Do you feel like your, your path of service to the world, the community, your family, like what, what do you see as next? Well,
1: um- what i do now is i do um what i call q a's which are question and answers with um anyone who wants them literally across the country whether it's a hospice agency or um church groups um and i do podcasts so i'm i'm educating I, that's my role now is is to educate. Um, I'm working on a course, an end of life course, um, for whether it's end of life doulas or volunteer training, um, just the the basics of what I've learned in these forty some years, mm. uh, and and the focus is not medical. Uh, because as I've said, dying is not a medical event. So it's, um, what I think people can bring to end of life. So education, that's what I'm here for.
0: Fantastic. And it seems like there's plenty of medical support out there. There's probably absolutely a need for what you're talking about. Um, so I recently interviewed uh, a fledgling end of life doula. Any, how can people find you? People who would like to participate in your Q and A's or or, uh, maybe uh, jump into your course or be a part of the course that you're creating or any of these things you just discussed.
1: Well, you can go to the website, which is bkbooks.com. You can email me at barbara at bkbooks.com. Mm. Um, and you know, we'll set, I'll turn you over actually to Julia.
0: Okay. Who's very (laughs) sweet.
1: Who's yes. Who's dear. And she'll set us up, uh, with Q and A's, um, or a podcast if you want to do that. So Mm -hmm. whatever I can to educate, um, and COVID is, has really, put me in the upstairs playroom. Uh, <laughs> so Please reach out. Yeah. So um, <laughs> this, this is how we, we can be of service. And of course, go to the website. I still, I write um, about every week or two weeks blog articles um, on end of life, sign up for that blog notification, go to Facebook, LinkedIn, I'm everywhere out there. Uh, and join our group.
0: Fantastic. So good. And, and I do want to reiterate to anybody listening that uh, you have your willingness to serve has impacted a tremendous amount of people. There's 30 plus, perhaps even more million copies of your pamphlets out there. Um, So you are uh, very effective at what you do. So thank you so much for that. Thank you for, uh, I wanted to reiterate that to the people listening, because I'm not sure if we touched on that so much at the beginning, but uh, thank you. So I will hit stop again, and then we'll say goodbye. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for spending time with me today. As someone who is committed to growth and service to this world, I so appreciate your willingness to come with me, go within, and serve our world through change. If you found value in this podcast and you know someone who can use this message, share this episode with them. Share it so our mission can be achieved one episode at a time. And of course, subscribe so you can hear more. And lastly, for more resources on what has helped me on my journey and can help you on yours, go to belove.media forward slash resources. That's B-E-L-O-V-E dot media forward slash resources. Thank you again for listening.